Hi, this is Steve Addison and you're listening to The Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're in London and we're talking to Jacob Boss about what's happening across Europe. things that I'm excited about uh, in terms of what's happening with movement in, in Europe. One of those is, is disruption, uh, as we're seeing what's happening in Ukraine that's creating a lot of disruption really throughout Europe. And from that, we're beginning to see uh, some really good gospeling and even really wrestling through what what is some of the structure, what does church look like? So disruption will be one of them. In some ways, Ukraine is an Acts 8 moment for Europe, where the the church in Ukraine is one of the stronger churches in Europe, uh, was 2.5% uh, evangelical, but Ukrainians were, were bold with the gospel. <clears throat> so we knew when the scattering happened about a year ago, year just over a year ago, that what was flooding into Europe were believers from Ukraine that were bold with the gospel. And, and so since they've started scattering into Europe, we've actually seen Ukrainians in Germany, in Poland, in Hungary, and in Romania that have started many churches. Uh, so one story would be a, a brother in Germany who has catalyzed two, one church and then from that church, two other churches uh, in Germany. And then he's also coaching uh, planters back in Ukraine uh, and they've also seen something start in, in Poland. And so it's, it's kind of that Acts 8 scattering moment. While, while inside Ukraine, we, we know from our organization of around 10,000 new believers since last July and are really wrestling now with, I mean, how, like, how do you disciple these believers and how do you get them to church and get them to multiplying the, the benefit of the disruption is that some of the systems that were in place that they depended on have been totally disrupted. And so a lot of that they no longer can, can depend on. Uh, for example, even the leaders, the leaders that were in a lot of these local places are no longer there um, or their families have been disrupted. And so how do you not do leadership development without some of the training and equipping systems that you had in, in place? So that disruption is happening. What's great is the believers are continuing to be bold with the gospel, which is creating another really healthy need of how do we make sure that these 10,000 new believers are being discipled and having good biblical community so that in 10 years, it's not just 10,000. It's not where those 10,000 go, but it's 10,000 that become 100,000. 100, One is normally we're thinking these poor Ukrainians running from a... From leaving their homes behind for, yeah. as, as refugees. But God's using them as missionaries. Yeah. The refugees are the ones that are sharing the gospel into, into Europe. Yeah, that's right. So we're trying to help equip them and train them to even go cross-cultural. Um, and so not just reaching out to the Ukrainians, but also to the Germans in Germany or to the Polish in, in Poland. 
And as they're catching on to that, we, we do have several stories in Poland and Germany specifically of Ukrainians who have reached out and actually seen Germans and Polish people come to faith. Uh, and so then what does discipleship look like? Uh, and so it's, it's an opportunity that God has provided. And I would also say that the Ukrainians that have been scattered, and even the Ukrainians in the country, like they're doing this on top of a whole lot of, of trauma, and you know this has not been an easy season for them. But sometimes beauty comes out of brokenness. And uh, I was just with a Ukrainian pastor in Turkey last week, or two weeks ago, and, and he was talking about um, how hard it's been, but how through that hardness they've learned more about God and his mission and how it's just been a beautiful thing, even though it's been an extremely hard and, and challenging season. Yes, we have disruption. I think a second one is there, there's a growing hunger and maybe holy disruption amongst a lot of church leaders in Europe um, that's kind of just discontent with the way things are. They're, they're realizing you know, we're continuing to, to lose ground and we're hungry for God to do something again. And I think that's just a, a really encouraging sign. Uh, a lot of them are really wrestling with how do we get back to the scripture and how do we how do we see what happened in the scripture happen again here today? And in that, we're seeing more and more leaders taking courageous, bold steps out and uh, and trying some some things around gospeling, leading to discipleship, leading to church formation, leadership development, um, more of the missionary task. Um, um, thing. So one of those uh, leaders recently would be a guy named Phil Moore here in, in London, who by all accounts is extremely, uh, had been extremely successful. And just through COVID, reading through Acts and kind of had this holy discontent. And uh, he's now really pursuing movement in London and, and other places in the UK and influencing other leaders as well. Uh, that's that's true for for a lot of different places, even in Europe, um, it's, and that that's encouraging to me. I, I think that they realize that we've got to get back to the Word. We have to get back to kind of the New Testament foundation um, as we're exploring what what kingdom expansion looks like in in Europe uh, again. So, kind of local leaders having a hungry uh, a hunger, I think, is is really uh, great. Kind of here in the UK specifically, uh, we're based in London. There's there's a lot of, of there's a growing um, group of, of leaders and believers who are really wanting to see God move in, in fresh um, in fresh ways, and they're realizing that maybe we need to reexamine and reevaluate from a biblical perspective what this looks like. Uh, a couple of examples would be a great uh, brother and friend friend of mine named Carl. Who uh, was came to faith about eight years ago? When he came to faith, he had never heard the gospel and had never even been to church. Uh, he said, growing up, there was a church actually at the end of his street, and his dad called them called them the God Bothers. Uh, but he he never went to the, went to church again. Never really heard the gospel before eight years, eight nine years ago, uh, which is just shocking to me that as a as a white British person that there are people out there like that today in Europe. Uh, as he heard the gospel and radically um, gave his life to Christ, he began to realize, man, there's probably a lot more Brits out here that have never heard the gospel. Uh, he began to explore church and, and go to church and realized that I need to be a witness. 
And so he, uh, in, in the center of London, in the workplace, just started witnessing himself as well as training and equipping others. Through, through all of this um, process, uh, he really began to have a burden to see church, unchurched people, to see the lost saved and into churches that could disciple them and, and help them be on mission and be healthy disciples of Christ. And so he and his wife jumped out about eight months ago and have started um, full-time looking at catalyzing church planting, uh, specifically in the Swindon area of England. Um, and, and so that would be one example. Now, from that example, um, he has influenced other leaders who are now looking and, and seeing what, what he is, is doing. Uh, there's also uh, several churches that I'm uh, working with and one that we're a part of uh, here in, in London that are, are realizing, especially after COVID, um, man, we, we need to reevaluate some things. And in order, in order for us to get to the, to the lost, we're just going to have to go to the lost. Uh, and, and so we're working with those churches to help them even think through how do we, how do we take an existing church and help it become multiplicative? Is it possible? And what are some practical best practices to do that? Um, and obviously getting them on mission means getting them out sharing the gospel first off. And then we have new believers. What do you do with the new believers? And so it's walking them through a journey step by step uh, of what this, what this could look like. So I fully expect over the next two to three years that we'll have some, some really good best practices from uh, a lot of churches here in the UK even of how, how do we help believers get on mission and then turn into more of a movement-based um, uh, strategy. I think w- one of the things that, we've, that we're learning uh, is that we might need to add a category in a, in a context like Europe, which has been historically Christian, called meaningful access. Uh, so what that means is we have no access and access and then meaningful access. No access means they've got nothing in their language. They have no Bible in their language. There's not a believer. There's not a church. So literally, if they wanted to access the gospel, they couldn't do it. By God's grace, those people are fewer and fewer in the world. There, there are still people out there like that that we need to pursue. Uh, but more and more people have access. Now, access means they have something in their language, but they have to access the gospel. And we praise God that they have access. Meaningful access is a Romans 10 idea where there are believers that are there in their language that are willing to jump over cultural linguistic barriers to get to the lost. So there in Romans 10, Paul starts with the gospel and he immediately moves to the harvest and begins asking the access questions, right? Well, how are they going to believe they haven't heard? How are they going to hear without someone telling them? How are they going to tell them if they're not sent? And so as we're looking at meaningful access, then we're realizing that, that the church model in Christian-based places and, and probably other places in the world too has become a, we're here, why don't you come and get the gospel? Now, what we don't realize, or, or maybe we do realize it and don't speak it often, is that the, the, there's a growing gap between the lost and the church in Christian context places, specifically being in the West. And so the lost, uh, someone like Carl uh, here, here in, in the UK, who has never read the Bible and never been to church, when, when they try to come to church, it's a radically different cultural experience for them. And there's a whole lot of things that throw them off. So we're expecting them to jump over linguistic cultural barriers to even get to the gospel. 
And really what the, the biblical mission is, is sending out believers to jump over cultural linguistic lines to get to the lost. Now, obviously, we want them, as they become believers, to be discipled back into healthy churches. Um, but, but we're trying to flip the paradigm where it's not just access, but we actually have meaningful access to the gospel for every person in Europe and beyond. Mm. What other trends are you seeing? You said there was a third one. Yes, yeah, so the third one is the rise of the global church and the global church beginning to own the mission of God. Uh, I think, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, the global church came together. Luzon was kind of a catalyst for that in the, in the 70s. And then you saw parachurch organizations, mission-sending organizations, local churches, really from around the world that began to align together around a common mission and a common goal, which was to see unengaged, unreached people groups have access to the gospel and then helping unreached people groups um, push forward uh, to see more churches churches planted. Uh, and so through that season, 70s, 80s, 90s, even early 2000s, what we've seen God do in the global south, meaning like South America, Africa, the Middle East, and, and Asia, what we've seen God do through the 1040 window is absolutely incredible. It's incredible. We've seen the rise of the church in China. We've seen Obviously, Korea, what's happening there, Africa being the largest Christian continent on the earth now. Uh, And while a lot of that church has some maturing to do, they're beginning to realize, wait a second, this great commission was not just given to a specific nationality. It was given to every believer of Christ. And they're beginning to open their eyes to the nations. And so we're beginning to see in Europe, uh, missionaries from Brazil and missionaries from Korea and missionaries from the Philippines. Uh, there's a lot of African churches here in Europe. And, and so that's another trend that I'm really, really excited about. I think over the next 10 years, we have a lot to learn over what this looks like and how do we do teaming together and uh, how do we not impose some of our historical learnings on them, but at the same time, give them some really helpful things that we've learned along the way from the American perspective and from the Western perspective. Even here here in London, uh, some of the work has been catalyzed by a Brazilian brother. Uh, and he and his wife had come to London from Brazil and had began to reach out to the Brazilian community. And they were seeing uh, some Brazilians come to faith. Some believers that were already here from Brazil jumped into what they were doing. Uh, and, and as we begin to help them catch a vision for, wait a second, what if we begin to reach out to the English and to these other people around us, even outside of, of Brazil? Uh, it's, it's interesting the journey that, that they went on and that I think a lot go on, which is, man, do I have the ability to even do that? And really diving in scripturally to help them see the authority for them to be on mission does not come from their ethnicity. It doesn't come from any kind of their background or anything to do with man. It has to do with being saved and being filled with the Spirit of God and having the Word of God and realizing that the Great Commission, the power and authority, comes from the Lord and can work through any ethnicity to any ethnicity. The power is in the gospel. As we proclaim the gospel, it's the gospel that is received that transforms lives and, and hearts. And as they begin to to realize this and they take the boldness that they already have and the courage that they already have and begin to reach out uh, 
uh, across other ethnicities and seeing some Brits saved from that has just been awesome uh, to see how excited they are and for them to realize, man, we, we're just as much in this mission as, as anybody else. Uh, and, and I think that in Europe specifically over the next 10, 15, 20 years, as uh, Brazilian and African and Korean brothers and sisters come and, and, um, and take the boldness that God has, has given them and, and allowed them to see in their own home places, translate here into Europe across cultures, I think that's going to be a really... Um, a really great thing for the kingdom here in, in Europe. What's the dream for you? Yeah, our, our vision is local stewardship of the missionary task in every Euro field. Uh, and as we have really dug in cross organizations and leaders in Europe and trying to figure out, I mean, how do we determine access to the gospel and how do we prioritize where we put workers and, and where do we point potential workers to? Uh, we realized that the diversity of the fields in Europe created a complex picture that we needed uh, some some clarity to. Uh, and so digging back into the scriptures around diversity of peoples, uh, we, we really came to see in Romans chapter 15 this Jerusalem to Illyricum idea. So Paul in Romans 15 says, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, there is no room left for the gospel. Now in Romans 15, he is specifically mentions being called to the Gentiles. He's pulling the church to the Gentiles, helping the church see the Gentiles are now included. This gospel is for everybody. But as we dig back into the journeys, we, we see that Paul was not exclusive to the Gentiles. He would go to the, uh, to the synagogues first and generally from the Jew to the, to the Gentile. We know his missionary team had Jews and, and Gentiles uh, on it. And so as Paul was looking Jerusalem to Illyricum, this geographic area, he's really looking at everybody that was there and, and helping the church see you know, the Gentiles are now included in, in, the, uh, in the gospel. Uh, and so as we're now looking at Europe, then we're, we're looking at Euro fields. And so we have around 99 Euro fields uh, here in, in Europe that make up about 8 to 10 million people. And as we look at that Euro field, the first question that that I think is important to ask is who all is in that field? In other words, what are all the languages? What are all the people groups? Like who, who all is in, in this field? Cause we want to make sure that every person has the opportunity to, to hear the gospel. So who all is in that field? And then the second question is how do they relate to each other? Uh, Cause there might be places or, or ways within that field that multiple people groups will relate to, each other in the same place where the gospel could even pass across different people groups. So my um, my vision and my dream is that we can begin to see uh, a fresh new picture in Europe of gospel access, and then the church coming together can begin to push towards the gaps in Europe. And I believe that as this becomes clear, as the church gets on mission towards lostness, in Europe, that it literally can change the nations because the nations are here uh, in Europe. My wife and I spent some time in South Asia, and the reason we went to South Asia was that Romans 15 ambition of taking the gospel where the gospel had never been. Uh, at one point, we were kicked out of India and uh, then landed here in London, England. And there was 
big questions on our heart. We we felt very clearly that this is what the Lord wanted us to do, but um, how did we go from a unengaged place where the gospel had not even penetrated some parts of to a place that historically has a Christian background, is operating in a Christian culture? Just a lot of of questions. And um, I remember meeting a, a brother uh, who again mentioned that he had come to faith, white, white British brother come to faith, but they had never heard the gospel before and had never been to church. And as, as I've been asking that question around since I've met him and heard his story, I've asked a lot of, of Europeans, hey, before you came to faith, had you ever heard the gospel or what of the gospel did you know? And it is, it is shocking how many Europeans have not engaged the gospel. They've not heard the gospel. And this is what gets me out of bed in the morning for Europe now, mm-hmm. is, is realizing that there are way too many Europeans who might have access, mm-hmm. i.e. there's something that they could get to if they wanted to, but they're just apathy and they haven't accessed it. They, they just literally haven't had an opportunity to hear the gospel. And that, that is heartbreaking uh, to me and, and something that, that gets me out of bed in the morning uh, here in Europe. Uh, while at the same time, on top of that, another layer that gets me up is just seeing the diversity in Western Europe in particular, uh, just realizing that the nations are here uh, and the opportunity to see uh, closed countries around the world impacted from peoples that are here uh, in Europe uh, is, is really exciting for me and, and is, is another one of the Well, if you're enjoying the Movements podcast, why not take a moment to let someone know by social media or by leaving a review. This is Steve Addison for the Movements podcast.